the Sunday Sermons Podcast. Are you ready for another mountaintop experience? I I sure hope you are, and I hope that it's coming through in this series we simply call Peak, exactly what we mean by that. We're, We're not just talking about some emotional high that we are trying to get to. We're talking about how mountain climbing actually works. How many of you guys actually hike, and, or at least at some point you've done this, you've made it to the top of a mountain, looked around, come back down again. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you do it on a regular basis. Okay. Especially those people really know this intuitively. Everybody else, I think you can grab it. When you climb a mountain, you spend most of your time driving there, setting up, getting the picnic food ready, climbing, getting up to the top, resting, thinking this has got to be the top. It's not the top yet. Do you know what I'm talking about? And then once you finally get to the top, then you got to come back down again. And sometimes it's harder to get back down than it was to get up. You know what I'm talking about? And then you go on with your life. The reason it's worth it is because not only do you have that whole experience, but you also remember that moment of clarity that view that you could only get from that one spot. And you know you can't stay there, and you know you aren't meant to stay there. That was never the point. But you have this sense of accomplishment and this sense of joy, the sense of I got to see something that I only could have got that way. And this, this is what a mountaintop experience is like for Christians. This is what each one of these mountains, these stories in the Bible that we're looking at and exploring, that's what it's really about. It's, it matters most because the impact it has on us the rest of our life. The top of the mountain is important because of how it impacts everything else. It's a moment of clarity. It's a moment of beauty. It's a moment of emotion. It's a lot of great things, but it matters because it informs the rest of the journey. Does that make sense? So as we continue this journey, let's remember together, there's several things that God has shown us. Uh, One is he always gives us a chance to start over, a real start over. Like no matter what, how bad it's gotten until now, there's a chance to really start over and not just start over with a clean slate so you can get forgiven again. We can get forgiven again, but the dream and what he provides is real transformation. On the other side of a mountaintop experience with God, there's the hope that you're different and you're teamed up with other people who are also different and you're becoming more different as you go. And that's where we learn to play our parts well, to live a kind of life that leaves a legacy like Moses did, that even our last day is not as sad as you would imagine, but it's actually a moment of victory. I did it. I'm done. And I've handed off the baton. Here we go. And so we live fully, which is what God has given us, what blessing really means in the scripture. So today we're going to look again at the story of Elijah. We've looked at Moses a lot. We've looked at Elijah a little bit. And today we're expecting to find two things. And I'm just going to throw it out there at the beginning and be watching for these as we go. Kind of like if we're climbing a mountain and I say, hey, be watching. There's this really, there's a good view of such and such. Okay, here we go. How many would like to know what God's will is for your life? We're going to talk about how to do that. Okay. And how, how can you obey him expectantly? Would you like to know that? That's also where we're going. We're looking at the story of Elijah. 
Elijah bursts on the scene out of nowhere, practically. In 1 Kings 17, verse 1, most of the other prophets, we know their dad's name. We know what job they had before God called them into being a full-time prophet. We know where they lived. Elijah is kind of a mystery. And also, there's something very special and clear about why he had the ability to be a prophet. First verse, it introduces him like this. Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. That that, that line, Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe, is actually one of the mysteries in the scripture. Because there's nowhere else in the Bible or in archaeology or history that mentions a place called Tishbe. We know exactly where Gilead is. It's everywhere that's east of the Jordan. In other words, he he was born outside of the promised land. But there is a lot of Hebrew words that look a lot like Tishbe that actually mean something like settler or immigrant. The idea is Elijah, doesn't matter who his daddy was. It doesn't matter where he lived. He was from Gilead somewhere. Maybe someday we'll find an actual spot called Tishbe. That'd be great. But the point is, here's why we trust Elijah. Because he stood before God. And that phrase, standing before someone throughout the scripture, we see it a lot of places. Daniel stood before King Nebuchadnezzar, for example. When you stand before someone, you serve them. You are able to represent them when you're in other situations. People trust what you say because you represent them. You mediate on their behalf. Why? Because you spend a lot of time in their presence. And here's what we know about Elijah. Here's what we know the most. He stood before the Lord. He represented God and he knew God well. Every time God spoke, he recognized that voice and he obeyed expectant. Are we tracking so far? So this is some clues about how to find God's will. First one you need to know is simply this. If this is God's will for everybody, and this is God's will for you, his unique, very specific will for you, I promise you, it's always going to fit inside of his universal, revealed, clear will for everybody else. Are you following me? If God says, hey, this is a sin, and you go, yeah, but for me, I feel like God is leading me to do this. Is that going to work? No. And if God says, hey, I want you to tell people about me and my truth, there, there's probably infinite specifics of how to do that. But do you think that idea fits into the big one? You see how this works. It's that simple. That's where it starts. I guarantee you that if you think that voice in your head is telling you to do something and it's against what the Bible says, it's against something you know, good and all, that for all humans everywhere, this is what God expects. If it's contrary to that, that's not the voice of God. I'm not going to go to where it might be, but it's not going to contradict himself. You following me so far? So that'll narrow it down a little bit. Also, His presence is most often tangible when we're in the middle of doing something. 
Some of the miracles that I've been a part of seeing, the things that I've seen where God just transformed lives along the way, maybe over years, all the times when I've really been aware, when I've been totally alone, but very aware of the presence of God or aware of God's presence in the middle of worship or whatever else, it's always in the middle of doing something really important. It's always doing, it's on a mission trip or it's during worship. Or it's while I'm worshiping him all alone and nobody else sees me or knows that's what I'm up to. Anybody else experience this? You know what I'm talking about? Or when you just know this is something I feel like God wants me to do and you do it. You sense his presence. So here's the first clue about how to find his presence. How to find his will. And then we're going to walk through this story together. Keep doing the stuff that helps you hear from God. I wish I knew more about exactly what Elijah did. I know he practiced silence and solitude a lot. I know he was alone. I know he heard from God. I don't know exactly what he did day after day, but what we see clearly is he does know God's voice. Reading the Bible, praying, meditating, all of those things, the stuff we do together in small groups, stuff we do alone, what works best for you. For example, some people journal a lot. Some people never want to write their stuff down. That's okay. But whatever helps you hear the voice of God, and if whatever you're doing fits into what we know for sure is going to work, that's a good place to start. The second thing is keep doing this stuff that you know is always his will. Is Is there ever a time when it's not a good idea to be kind? So if you're in a situation and you're tempted to not be kind... You already know God's will. You don't need to pray about that one. You don't need to hear a voice in your head. You don't need a revelation. You don't need a sign. Be kind. Sometimes it's literally that simple. Well, let's jump back into the story with all that in mind. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead, said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except for by my word. He knew that very clearly. He had heard the voice of God and he was boldly proclaiming it because he knew exactly this was God's will. And right again, here's another message from God, just as distinct. The word of the Lord came to him, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook of Sherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Sherith that is east of the Jordan. So he's back in his home area, that wide area that's everywhere east of the Jordan, Gilead. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. And one more time. Last week we talked about we used these same pans. The actual pans, I think. Anyway, our ideas of blessings fit into God's ideas of blessings, but his don't always fit into ours, okay? Was Elijah doing God's will? Was God providing for him? Was he rich? Was he comfortable? Was he in a situation where he had all kinds of friends and family and a wonderful relationship? No. You get the idea. 
also, sometimes as clear as God's will was for him, it didn't make a lot of sense. Here's why. One of the things, one of the clues I can give you, if it's really the voice of God, it's very rarely going to be something you would have thought up on yourself. Very rarely. Almost any time I've ever heard something and thought it was God and tried it just to see if it really was, it was not something that I thought of myself. It was not something I would have imagined would have been great. But those are the ones I look back on and go, well, that really was God. I, 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 I don't think Elijah was going, you know what would be cool? I, I'm pretty sure I could just go live by a creek and ravens would bring me food every day. He wouldn't have thought of that one. But boy, it's a cool story. And he heard it from God. Let's keep going. The creek drives up after several years. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Think you would have thought of that one? That's like, for us, a modern day, our culture, our socioeconomic situations, that's like pulling up to an intersection um, next to the highway and there's somebody with a cardboard sign and you ask them for money. That's what that's like. So he arose and went to Zarephath. Not because it made sense, not because he thought it was a good idea, but because he knew he had heard the voice of God. Is this tracking so far? Okay. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. Now, Zarephath and Sidon, we know exactly where those are. Those are coastal, coastal towns on the northwest of the Dead Sea. It's 85 miles away from the brook of Sharif. We know where that is too. Again, if I were Elijah, I wouldn't have thought of, you know, you know what I think probably God would like me to do right now is, even though I have no water with me, I could walk through the desert 85 miles and live with a widow. Nope, wouldn't have thought of that. But it's the voice of God. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Now, I just got to pause for a second and say, hey, listen, as, as weird and crazy as a lot of the details are, this one actually in their culture in that day wasn't so weird. For example, in Papua New Guinea, where I grew up, if uh, the, their natural traditional greeting is pugnana. And what that literally means is give me betel nut. It's the stuff that they chew. That's literally what they don't say, hey, good morning, or how are you, or happy day. They, they say, hey, give me betel nut. That's not rude. They're not just bypassing all the pleasantries. That's how they say it. And in this culture, it was perfectly acceptable to walk up to someone and say, give me a drink. Remember Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well? He doesn't say, hey, good morning, fine woman. How are you? What a beautiful day. By the way, may I please? You know what I'm saying? He just says, hey, give me a drink. That, that was okay. Just throwing that out. But here's, let me pause one more time. Am I the only one that sometimes when I think, okay, if this is really God's will, the next thing is probably going to look like this. Do you guys ever guess like that? Do you do that? I do that all the time. And I'm learning not to because I almost always guess wrong. If I were Elijah in this situation, I'm thinking, I'm going to walk up to this woman, this awkward, weird situation after 85 miles of walking through the desert, I'm going to walk up there and she's going to go, oh, you're Elijah. God's been talking to me. 
I've got the room ready. Do you know what I'm that's And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat and die. (laughs) Okay then. But again, we find God's will by spending enough time with him that we recognize his voice. We also find God's will by just doing what he said, whether we get it or not. So Elijah presses on. Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Now the ball is in the widow's court. She's heard the word of God. What's she going to do about it? She went and did as Elijah said, which is why she got to see what happened next. And she and her household ate for many days, which just like today, we'd say like, hey, ooh, that'll take a minute. And we mean a lot more than 60 seconds. Many days means probably a couple of years. She and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent. Neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke to Elijah. So here's another thing that I tend to do and I'm learning not to when I'm trying to find God's will and follow it in my life. Do you ever assume there's gonna be a happily ever after moment? You you make it to the top of the summit and then it's just gonna level off and now we got it easy. Yeah, that never happens. That's just not how it works. Here's what happened in this story. The, the woman does that. She and her son have food. It goes on for a couple of years. Everybody's okay. And then her son gets sick and dies. And now she's mad. And she takes the dead boy up to Elijah and she says, what in the stinking world? Now, that's my paraphrase. But that, she's mad. And she says, what is going on here? And Elijah's frustrated and Elijah's upset. And he takes the boy to God and he says, God, I need you to fix this. And astoundingly, God just brings the boy back to life. And her response is this. The woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. I guess all those miracles up to then, day after day, hadn't counted, right? But, but she's like, okay, you're the real deal. I get it now. Again, I keep emphasizing because it's how it works. We've got to keep actually doing God's will. When we hear that voice, we try it. If it doesn't work, the, the, the fruit is bad stuff. It's not God. But if it does, you're going to trust him just a little bit more. But I got to say one more time, we're not doing this to earn our way into salvation. I like the way F.B. Meyer puts it. He says, do not do in order to be saved, but being saved, do. We have that mountaintop experience so that through the rest of the rough, sometimes rougher journey down and beyond, we actually live differently. So that's why this second step is so important. 
If you want to know God's will, you want to experience the presence of God, you want to know what he has for you, his big dreams for you. It's all that stuff we already covered. And it's also this idea. You've got to obey expectantly. Expecting that somehow or another, God is going to blow your mind in this situation. And again, let me remind you, all that stuff I said, it's rarely going to be what you expect. It's rarely going to have the kind of confirmation you would expect. It's rarely going to be something you could have thought of. There's almost never going to be a happily ever after. There's going to be another mountain. Are you with me? But if it's God, what it's doing in you and what it's doing around you is going to change. If it's God, you're going to realize why you had that journey little by little by little. And when you get to the next one, maybe four or five mountains later, you're going to go, oh, that's what that was about. But you're going to be closer to God and you're going to be closer to the people around you because you were obedient. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. And so Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. You're starting to see a pattern here? Here's from God, does it. This is a scary thing. This could be a death sentence if God didn't come through, but he just does it. Now the famine was severe in Samaria and Ahab called Obadiah who was over the household. Here's another interesting one. He doesn't use this phrase. It's one of the few times it doesn't in this situation. But Obadiah stood in the presence of Ahab. Are you ready? He stood before Ahab. He was that character in the household of the king and yet he was a godly person. Another totally unexpected thing. Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water for three years. Do you think he got the confirmation he wanted? Was there a happily ever after that came really quickly as soon as he hid him in a cave? Was he sure that he was doing God's will? Yeah. And here's another mountain. Elijah says, hey, I need you to go tell Ahab I'm on my way. And he says, do you hate me that bad? Do you want to kill me? Another paraphrase, but that's pretty close. And Elijah said, as surely as the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. And so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And here they come, they meet, and he challenges them, basically throws down the gauntlet and said, okay, let's duel this out, God versus Baal, and let's see what happens. And Ahab's like, sure, we can do this. So Ahab sent all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. So let's set the stage here. Mount Carmel is about nine miles away from the Mediterranean Sea. It has a beautiful view of the sea also the Kishon River at the bottom. And it also has a great view of Megiddo, the valley that we later hear about in the scriptures called Armageddon. And much more importantly, because the next several mountains we're going to visit in the next several weeks are all in the New Testament and have to do with Jesus. But from Mount Carmel, you have a really good view of Nazareth, of Cana in Galilee, 
and a slightly smaller mountain called Mount Tabor, which is where the transfiguration happened. Just wanted to throw that out. But I'd like you to imagine this. Use your imagination for a quick second. You like old Western movies? Anybody? I like the old spaghetti ones, you know, spaghetti westerns with um, Clint Eastwood and stuff. And this is the moment where the guitar starts in. Ding, 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 ding. And there's horn. Bum, 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 bum. And there's a flute. Okay. You got Elijah on one side. Well, actually, he's probably got a stick, not a gun. And you've got 450 prophets on the other side. And they start, he lets them go first. So they start in and they start praying to Baal and they sing songs to him and they do and Baal does nothing because Baal's a statue. Follow? And at noon, <laughs> high noon. <laughs> at noon, Elijah mocked them saying, cry aloud for he is a God. Either he's musing or he's relieving himself. I'm reading this out of the Bible. Or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. He's totally mocking their fake guy. Well, they get crazy at this point. They start cutting themselves. They start dancing crazy. They do all this weird stuff. Of course, it has no effect. And then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. This is a beautiful, poetic moment. Because the altar of God was just 12 stones, 12 really big uncut stones that each one represented one of the tribes of Israel. And they'd thrown that down. And so he says, come near to me. They had a little time to think through what was going on. And then he gets the butchered meat and the wood and all that. He has them throw so much water on it that it filled a seven-gallon trench around the outside. And then he prays and he says to God something along the lines of, God, show them that this is really you that told me to do this. Show them that you're real and not an idol. Here comes the big moment. This is the peak of the mountaintop experience. You ready? Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And they all lived happily ever after. Haha, <laughs> you know better. All right, we're getting somewhere. This is awesome. This is actually the saddest part of the story. And it never says that God did not tell Elijah to, and it doesn't say he did tell him to. He's not rewarded or punished for it. But the next thing he does is he tells all of Israel to gather the 450 prophets of Baal, and they kill them all down by the Kishon River, which is probably why Jezebel was so mad and wants to kill him. That's actually in the Bible. That's the next thing. And for some reason, he is totally terrified of it. He's been following God all this time. He's been risking his life. He's been living alone. He's been doing all this stuff. He just literally calls down fire from heaven. And now he's terrified. Remember a couple weeks ago? We talked about that story already. He's terrified and he gets called to Mount Sinai. Remember this very rarely happily ever after. There's another 
mountain. Let's, oh my gosh. Let's try this one more time. There's another. Yes. Yes. And I don't like that. And I wish I could tell you a better story. Well, actually, this is the best possible story because it's God's story. But I wish I could tell it differently. I would like it better to say there's a happily ever after, but there really isn't. It always has another thing. But on the other side of that mountain, again, it wasn't 100% happily ever after. But on the other side, he was teamed up with Elisha and with a whole team of prophets, probably those guys that were hidden in the caves by Obadiah. That's my personal guess. And now there's a school of prophets and there's a whole different thing happening than there ever was when there was just the one guy from out in Gilead somewhere who stands before God. Everything changes because of these two mountaintop experiences. Everything's different on the other side. And brothers and sisters, that's the hope. That's what we're really looking for when we try to follow God's will. It's great to have mountaintop experiences in the sense that We've, we're just happy, we sense God's presence, we see a miracle, we, see, we feel his joy, we, we got this revelation that just, wow, I never thought about it that way. We love those things. But what makes it matter is, can you hold on to that all the way down the other side of the mountain and can you live differently the rest of your life? That's where that moment of clarity on the very top, that 360 view, that's where that really matters. That's where that really has significance. And that's what God wants for you. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. That's what God wants for me. So as we wrap this up this morning, I want to, let's just walk back through these simple ideas, but I, I want you to think about just how practical can it be in your life? Pick even just one of these ideas and do it. Like literally do it. This can be your mountaintop experience today. And on the other side, do something different and just watch what God does. You need to find God's will. The best ways to do that are the spiritual disciplines. I guarantee you, if you're reading your Bible, if you're fellowshipping with other Christians, you're taking communion, you're praying, sometimes you are alone with God and you're praying there. Sometimes you're doing all of these things in smaller groups of people who hold you accountable and question your ideas and help you learn better and you question their ideas and help them learn better and hold them accountable. If you're being a good steward of everything that God gives you, if you're worshiping God, there's a really good chance that you're gonna get to know the voice of God really well. And then when he sees you doing all that stuff, he's going to tell you something very specific and you're going to know who's talking to you. Find God's will. And the second thing you got to do is you got to obey expectantly. And expect there can be, there will be sometimes, there will be miracles, there will be things that only God could do in this situation. But also expect, just like the story of Elijah and pretty much every other story in the Bible, even Jesus' life, it's probably not going to look how you imagined it. It's probably not going to feel like you would imagine it would feel when you're right in the middle of God's will. It's probably going to be uncomfortable. You're probably going to have some questions. You may be eating bread and meat sandwiches brought to you by a bird in the middle of the wilderness for three years. 
Well, not three years. The other part, you'll be living with a stranger and her kid's going to die. You have to be, are you following me on this? It's going to, it's, it's weird. But yet you'll know. And looking back, you're going to say, yeah. And also then the fire of God came down. And also that after that, when I completely burn out and I came to the end of my limit, God restored me and everything's even better now. I got a team. You're going to have a different experience on the other side of the mountaintop experience. That's the whole point. And I encourage you to do that. Obey expectantly. Not just expecting the miracle, but expecting life transformation, no matter what God says or how long it takes. Because that is going to be his will for you. And our blessing that we've been giving each other at the end every day for the last several weeks, we've talked about how that when we give our lives to God as a living sacrifices, we're transformed. Our minds are renewed. And then we can know what God's will is. That's why we're saying that every single time. We make the sacrifice up on the mountain. He provides the fire and the whole thing. Then we do that again. And day after day after day after day after day, we keep doing that because we're living sacrifices. But after a while, we're transformed and we actually can know what's God's will. And then we can follow it expectantly. Jesus said this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. So my plea is simple this morning. Would you give Jesus everything? You have a chance for a mountaintop experience every single Sunday morning here, pretty much any church that I know of. We don't want you to just come up here and cry or laugh or have this big emotional thing. If that happens, great. If not, there's nothing wrong with you. Some people are real methodical about it. We don't need every single person to come forward and pray on these stairs, but some people find it really meaningful. And if you do, you should do it. You should be brave enough to just come on or come with somebody else and pray or come up here and pray for somebody else. Nobody's judging you. Nobody's going, what's wrong with them? They're like, okay, that's them. I'm going to pray here. If you've never given your life to Jesus, that mountaintop experience is one of the, that is the one, okay? You've got to have that. Not because it's just so amazing in the moment. It is, but it's not because of that. That's not the point. It's because it's going to change everything on the other side. The climb down the other side from you getting baptized or whatever choice you make today is, is going to be hard and rough, but your life's going to be different. And when you come to that next mountain, you're going to know him better. You'll have his Holy Spirit inside of you. Everything that you ever did before that was forgiven. Things are different. And that's the point. Whatever you need to do this morning, whatever kind of mountaintop experience you need with God this morning, that's what it is. Don't expect too much. Maybe it's going to blow my mind just how amazing and emotional or whatever it gets for you. But don't, don't do that. Know this. If it's real, it's going to change you. And it's going to change the world around you. Make the choice you need to make this morning as we stand and as we sing.